There was a song of the 60s and the 70s that maybe some of you remember. Um, I'm not going to sing it, but I'll kind of recite some of the words. It was a song about signs. And the first verse says, And the sign said, Long-haired, freaky people need not apply. And then the chorus said, Signs, signs, everywhere a sign, breaking up the scenery, breaking my mind. Don't do this, do that. Can't you read the signs? Signs have been with us for centuries. Um, And like that song, sometimes they're explicit. They tell us what to do. They tell us what not to do. Enter here. Exit there. No smoking. No skateboarding. Please pick up after your dog. (laughs) Then there are other types of signs that we see that aren't necessarily explicit. They're more implicit. They imply things rather than make demands. We see a sign when there's a mutual agreement between people. Usually they'll say, we'll shake on it. That's a sign that they agree. There might be a signature or maybe even from a king, a seal at the bottom of a parchment in which he wrote something. That's a sign of authority, saying that the words that are on this parchment are true, and they're the law. Then there are other signs, signifying a marriage commitment, when you exchange rings. That's a sign, a sign that you've made this commitment with another person. And the sign of the ring tells the whole world that. And then there are signs that bring to mind God's promises. Remember God's covenant promise to Noah in Genesis 9. And we'll be studying about that probably about summertime if it's in the ninth chapter. Where God promised that he would never again deluge the world in water and kill everything. And he said, see, I put my sign in the sky. It's a rainbow. So these signs are there scripturally. So when we see it, we remember God's promises. God's covenant with Abraham. Where he promised to make him a great nation. And his people would be greater than the sands of the sea. He gave him the sign of circumcision so that they would not, the the people of Israel would not forget that promise that God made regarding them. And then there's the sign of the coming Messiah in Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about that there will be a virgin shall give birth, and we'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You'll know him by that sign. 
And then, of course, around Christmas time, we hear about the shepherds. And the angels who came to the shepherds and said, this is the sign of the birthing of the Messiah. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Signs everywhere. Everywhere is sign. In the scripture, in our lives. These days, God has provided us with another sign. Two more signs, actually. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The church calls them ordinances. The ordinances of baptism. And the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Another word, and I'll be interchanging the word, is the word sacraments. Sacraments and ordinances for the church, they're the same thing. Different churches have different numbers, but for us, for the Protestant church, there are two. The ordinance of baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to celebrate one of those, in just a little while. We already celebrated, if you remember, a few weeks ago, the ordinance of baptism. We had three people baptized. Samita, Adam, Aaron, baptized. In commandment of God. Uh, We heard the scripture today that was read earlier about Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist was going about the country and baptizing people with the baptism of repentance. But Jesus did not need that baptism. Even though in the scripture it says, John said, hey, you should be baptizing me. Why am I baptizing you? And Jesus said, it's to fulfill all righteousness. Baptism was something that God commanded in the Old Testament. It wasn't called that, but it was had to do with the ceremonial washing to produce purity and what he wanted from his people Israel. And in order, since it was a command from God, Jesus had to have been baptized in order for him to be the perfect man. <coughs> the man without sin, because if he wouldn't have done that, he would have not followed a command of God. He said, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then what happened at the end? He comes out of the water after being baptized, (coughs) and God acknowledges what he did. He says, well done. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Excuse me. Before we jump right into the issue of baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, I want to talk about some specific general things regarding the ordinances. Because you need to understand, we need to understand those things in order to get the gist of what baptism means and what the Lord's Supper means. We know that there's nothing inherent in them. There's no magic in them. 
There's nothing in them that in and of itself produces sanctification or salvation. So, what's the purpose of them? Other than being a command, which we should do anyway if it's a command, but other than that, what really is the purpose of them? Why do we do them? Well, as I was researching this this week, the best, most concise definition that I found had to, came from about 500 years ago. This stern-looking fellow that you see up there is John Calvin, one of the leading reformers of the 16th century. And he looks like you would think when you talk about John Calvin, you kind of, yeah, that's probably what he looked like. He's kind of a stern guy. And he wrote something called the Institutes of Christian Religion. It was a 16th century systematic theology, so to speak. And this is what he wrote regarding the sacraments or the ordinances. The sacrament is an outward sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences the promises of his goodwill toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith. And we, in turn, attest our piety toward him in the presence of the Lord and of his angels and before men. Let's break this down a little bit. Essentially, Calvin says that a sacrament is an outward sign of God's gospel promises. When he says it's an outward sign on which the Lord seals on our consciences the promises of his goodwill toward us, it's a way that God instills in us his gospel promises. Augustine said this, a sacrament is a visible sign of a sacred thing. Well, think about it. If that's true, when we partake in baptism or the Lord's Supper, we're partaking in something that involves our senses. We see the elements. We're able to feel them, even taste them. And in some cases, even smell them. It's a way that God has made for us to have his promises seared onto our consciousness. And when we put that all together with the fifth sense we have, which is hearing, that is, when we hear God's word in association with the sacrament, we have a true and visible representation of the invisible spiritual things to which God's word directs us. 
You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And that's true to an extent. But what we have in the ordinances is of, of the church is even more vibrant than a picture. By partaking in the sacraments, God's gospel promises come alive in our souls. The meaning of his promises, the meaning of his words are seen, they're felt, they're tangible. Now, the cup does not become his blood. The bread does not become his body. But it represents that. It's a picture. It's a sense. Hearing his word and eating of the bread and drinking of the cup and immersing ourselves, having been immersed in water, and dunked, and brought up. It's a way to get past just the words that tell us about it. In this way, God's promises to us, promises of salvation, promises of sustenance, are sealed into our consciousness. When we step down into the baptismal and we're dunked underwater and then we're brought back up to the cheers of our family and friends like we saw a few weeks ago, suddenly Paul's words take life where he says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Christ in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. It's a picture. We're dunked. We die with Christ. We're buried. We're held underwater for a second. And then we'll be resurrected as we come up out of the water. It's a picture. It's something we feel. It's something we experience. That when it put together with His Word, is sealed into our very being. And then again in Colossians. Paul says something similar. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
In this way, God's promise of eternal life is sealed in our consciences. And then this sacramental sealing that I'm talking about doesn't just stop there. There's more to it. It results in bolstering our faith. Calvin writes in that statement I read earlier, a sacrament is an outward sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences the promises of his goodwill toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith. God knows what it takes for salvation, faith. But he also knows that we're infinite beings. He also knows that our faith is weak. Think about Peter, where he denied Jesus. Lord, I will never deny you. Yes, you will. Lord, no, no, I will never deny you. Okay? By the time the rooster crows three times, you will have denied, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. No, I'll never do that. What happens with Peter? His faith fails him. He denies Christ. Don't you know him? No, no, I don't know him. The woman asked him, weren't you with him? No, I don't know him, I told you. In that case, Peter's faith wasn't just weak. It was circling the drain. And then we have the boy in in Mark chapter 9 who is tormented by a demon. And Jesus comes to see him. And the father says, you know, this demon is throwing him to the ground. If you can, heal him. And Jesus said, if I can? And he said, the father said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Christ knows, God knows that there were finite, weak creatures. And our faith follows that. Weak faith. Think about doubting Thomas, remember? Jesus was just here. Yeah. No, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, he was. I'll tell you what, I'll believe it when I see the wounds in his hands and I can place my hand in his wound on the side. And then Jesus shows up. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. You believe because you saw the wounds. Blessed are those who don't see and yet still believe. So this outward sign, this sacrament, this baptism, this Lord's table, it not only seals his promises in our consciences, 
But it does that because our faith is weak. It's a way in which God, for us, bolsters, builds up, bears up our weak faith in his word. We have finite abilities as people. Those finite abilities cause us problems when we try to comprehend the fullness of God who is, as Bible said, incomprehensible. All we know about God is what Scripture tells us. That's how he designed it. He's chosen to tell us things. He's chosen to to give us information. He's chosen to talk to us about himself. But he hasn't told us everything. And still, our finite minds have trouble believing what it is he has told us. He's given these sacraments as a way to help bolster our faith. Now, by saying that the sacraments do that, I'm not saying that there's any special formula inherent in them. Any perceived power Oh, well, there we go. Any perceived power that we might have or anyone might have in the sacraments themselves comes solely from the working of the Holy Spirit. Solely from the working of the Holy Spirit who works in the believer who partakes of them. We put the word with the sacrament. We put the word of God with the Lord's Supper. We put the word of God with the baptism. And through that, the Holy Spirit shows us and instills in us that word of God. It's a way to strengthen and to to strengthen our faith, and it's a way to bring to us the reality of spiritual things so that we understand it better. If the Holy Spirit is lacking in this, the sacraments won't accomplish anything. It's like the sun shining on blinded eyes. It's like a voice sounding in deaf ears. It'll accomplish nothing. Apart from the Holy Spirit's work, the sacraments profit zip. So we're not to place our confidence directly in them the way some do. The sacraments are God's Instruments. The sacraments have value only insofar as God uses them. 
Just as we're not to put our faith and confidence in created things, we're not to put our faith and confidence in the sacraments alone. In their use, as in all created things, God is to be given all the glory. Whether then you eat, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do what? Do all to the glory of God. And lastly, by partaking, you know what? Lastly, (laughs) by partaking of the sacraments, we in turn attest our piety toward God in the presence of the Lord and of his angels and before men. That's the third purpose of the sacraments. Through the sacraments, we publicly attest our devotion to God and our love for one another. It's something we do together. When we had our baptism a while back, the room was full. We all joined in. We didn't get dunked that day. But we partook of it. We witnessed it. We can attest to it. We were just as much a part of that baptism as Samita, Aaron, in Adam. Through the sacraments, we publicly attest our devotion and our love for God and each other. The church ordinances, they signify a bond of love. And it's a bond of love that stretches both vertically and horizontally, vertically between us and God, horizontally between us. There's a bond of love that comes when we partake of the supper. There's a bond of love that comes when we partake and witness or attest our testimony when a bapti- during a baptism. Assembling together to partake in the Lord's Supper as well as to partake in the ordinance of baptism implies there is a mutual love and oneness among the believers and it evokes a spirit of gratitude. 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17 says this, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? 
Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We all partake of Christ and who he is. We've seen how this ordinance of baptism seals God's gospel promise of eternal life in our consciousness. And we've also seen it through the outward sign signifying his death, his burial, and his resurrection to new life. It illustrates how we've been united with him, united with Christ. And it's a sign of that. It's a sign of what has already happened in our lives that we have been united with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And through the Holy Spirit, working in and with the word in the sacraments, our faith is strengthened in his promises of eternal life and salvation. For the next few minutes, uh, in the next few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I know some of you came in here today, saw this, and looked at your watches or your calendar and said, I, well, March 1st, is that? No. We've, but we figured it would be a good day to have that today since this is the last message regarding the church. And we'll hear the experience through doing this, how God's gospel promises are found and brought to life, even through the ordinance of the church. Let me pray. What does the Lord's Supper provide for us? What's the purpose of it? Well, just as we talked about baptism, baptism is a one-time deal. It's something we do once. Christ died once. He was buried once. He resurrected once. Never to have to die or be buried again. It's a one-time deal, as if when we proclaim what he has done in our lives, there's no way we have to continue to do that. We don't have to continue to be baptized because he doesn't continue to die. He lives forever now that he's resurrected. So why don't we just do the Lord's Supper once? We do it over and over. Some churches do it every Sunday. We do it once a month. But either way, it's something that continues on time after time after time. Well, why is that? What's different between this and baptism? Well, Baptism, while it doesn't save us, it symbolizes 
what Christ did once and for all. When we have communion, it symbolizes who he is. And it symbolizes our need for constant sustenance. Constant constant time in his word. Constant time in prayer. It's an ongoing thing. Philippians says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean you work for your, for your faith. You work for salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means it's a process. It starts with an initial time that you put your faith in Christ. And that is shown, it's signified by baptism when you do that. And now the work really starts. <laughs> as you become more and more and more in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. This signifies what needs to go on. That you, we need, as Christians, constant nourishment of His Word. Constant nourishment of time with prayer. Constant nourishment with each other. We see friends, we see family members who are Christians, but they're in a down time. This helps us to be a constant source to them through Christ. John writes in chapter 6 of his Gospel, He's talking about Jesus. Jesus says here, I am the bread of life. Okay? I'm the bread of life. This symbolizes life in Christ. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I have, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. We read those words. We hear those words. But do they resonate? I mean, with the, with the Pharisees, they were saying, what's this guy saying? He expects us to, you know, are we supposed to turn into cannibals? <coughs> but this table signifies what he's talking about. So that we will 
realize and accept Jesus Christ as our only source of nourishment to live this Christian life. So as the men come up to serve today, I ask that you would consider this. I ask that you would understand what this signifies. Not that there's magic in the bread or magic in the cup, but that all sources of sustenance, of eternal life, come from the Lord. So if the men would come up, and we will serve communion. Thank you, gentlemen. Jesse, would you give blessing for the bread? This signifies the body of Christ. Look at it. It's flat. There's no leaven in it. Just as there was no leaven, no sin in the body of Christ. Look at it. It's broken. Just like his body was when he paid the price for you and me, the price that we owed. Look at it. There's holes in it. Signify that the fact that he was pierced for our transgressions. And when he was, blood and water poured out of his side. The blood of forgiveness, the water of purity, and fell on the earth. You see, it's not just us that were saved. The whole earth will be saved someday. Because right now it groans. It groans as if it's in childbirth. But one day, that blood that poured out of Jesus, that water that poured out of Jesus on the cross, washes, will wash the earth clean. Let's partake of the bread, the sign of Christ's body. Greg, would you uh, give blessing on the cup? The cup. Symbolic of his blood that was shed for you and for me. The life is in the blood, we're told in Leviticus. Without the blood... There is no remission of sins. 
we're told in Hebrews. Christ's blood poured for you, poured for me, poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's partake of the cup. Thank you, gentlemen. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up your countenance and give you peace. Thank you. God bless you. In Jesus' name.